0: Welcome to Unlikely Intersections, where intent, impact, and inquiry inspire our conversations. I'm Doc Philip Brown, I'm here with Dr. Terry Jackson, and we are at Unlikely Intersection. What's interesting is we all experience intersections daily, and the way we navigate those and handle them, whether they're at home, work, play, worship, really determines the trajectory
1: of our day and our lives. Welcome back. Thank you, glad to be back. Glad to be back and having these most important conversations that we're having around everything that impacts us in our lives, right? Uh, Socially, economically, spiritually, Uh, we need to have these conversations.
0: Absolutely. And man, we got a tough one today if you live in our neck of the woods, right? Because we're going to talk about housing problems and we're going to talk about housing is health care.
1: It is healthcare, and and I was saying earlier that I think that housing is a right. We just have to find the right um, equation so that everybody can have affordable housing or housing that is amenable to all.
0: So that's like a lightning rod statement, of course, right? Anytime <laughs> you come out and say something that's right, <laughs> you know you're going to catch a lot of flack. That's before. right.
1: So say more, say more. What you well, you know, as a human being, we all have to have shelter. And I think that we have and, – and, and given that everyone's economic situation is not the same, their social situation not be the same, I think we need to consider when we're talking about housing – all the different tiers, all the different levels, right? There needs to be some maybe standardization is the right word, right? Around a particular demographic or a particular economic uh, strata that we need to consider when we're talking about housing. I think everybody has to have the right to having a a home that's amenable to them, that affords them comfort and shelter and protection from, from, from nature.
0: Well, you know, you're really getting at a concept what happens in a community if you've got a situation where frontline professionals, <laughs> teachers, mm-hmm. police officers, firefighters, frontline workers in, in any service industry, what happens to those communities when when people in those jobs can't afford to live close to the job?
1: You know, that's that's real interesting because in our area, you know, I, as, as I traveled, you know, I'd go across the bridge every once in a while and all of a sudden, I see our our Wilmington PD cars traveling toward Brunswick County, and I understand that quite a few of our officers, police department of police officers as well as sheriff uh, deputies, live in Brunswick County. They had to get permission to do so, but that's because of what you just mentioned. They can't afford, based upon their salaries, working for the county or for the city, to purchase a home in Wilmington or in New Hanover County simply because of the cost of housing. And so I think that puts us at jeopardy when uh, our law enforcement or fire fire uh, department workers have to live in another county Um, because if there is an emergency and maybe they have to be called in, we have to wait for them to get here. And especially if the bridge is up and they can't get over, then what happens to the citizens? Because we haven't provided for them the the salaries uh, or the cost of housing that will enable them to live within the city in which they serve.
0: Well, you know, that bridge brings up a whole different topic, right? We can have a infrastructure discussion later because we know we've, really been, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we've been struggling with that. You yes. know, pretty soon we're we'll going to have to swim across the river. <laughs> but, 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 no, the truth of it is, you know, one of the things, I've done a fair bit of, of exploration into the housing situation as a part of health care, as a part mm-hmm. of what we do because we know the outcomes are, are dramatically different when people don't have safe, viable places to go uh, that are encountering health problems. And one of the phenomena that we always run into is everybody thinks it's a great idea to figure out more housing, but there's this phenomenon called NIMBY, right? Mm. Not in my backyard. That's right. That's right. And I'm just sitting here, I scratch my head. I'm like, so you're telling me that you don't want a police officer, a firefighter, a school teacher, a frontline worker in one of the different industries that we have here. We have folks who are uncomfortable with those people in their neighborhood. What's mm. all? What's that all about?
1: Ego, personality, who they think they are. You know the the whole social strata. Because I'm an attorney, I'm an accountant, uh, I'm this large business person. However, um, <laughs> there are these people that I don't want living around me because I'm not comfortable. You know um, the valuation of my home. Uh, versus, you know, those people who may live near me. All of those things go into, uh, I'm sure, their thought process, but yet these are the people that they want to be able to protect and serve. These are the people they want to be able to come to their rescue in, in, in case something happens to them or to their family members, but they don't want them living around. It sounds like a whole lot of exclusivity to me, and it's quite, quite interesting, you know, in this city and across the country, that we have to deal with these levels of exclusivity, even though they say that they are for uh, all of these services, and they pay taxes, they just don't want the people living around them.
0: Wow, that's a, such a that's a heavy statement and a ton to unpack right there. You know, it just I don't even really know where to begin. In a way, <laughs> like you know, that's a that's a that's a heavy lift to unpack.
1: You know, and, and people don't think about it that way, right? These guys, say, for instance, police force or, or sheriff sheriff's department, they're putting their lives on the line for us d- daily. They know what they're going to face. There's going to be something, you know, whether they have to pull a weapon and, and fire at someone, uh, get involved in car accidents um, when people have accidents. We want them to be, quote, unquote, Johnny on the spot, right? A Jill on the spot, right? But yet, these are the same people we're saying, you can't live in my neighborhood. You don't make enough money. Um, That's really, they're not showing any appreciation for humanity and for the people who choose those jobs. Again, ego, personality, uh, whatever is driving that sense of superiority, because that's a superiority complex as well. You can serve me, but you can't live near me difficult to swallow
0: yes yes it is and it it really gets me to a whole nother uh, offshoot of that right so these rules that get written whether they're neighborhood rules or zoning rules are intended to be exclusive and that brings me to just think about the long-term ramifications of exclusivity that's that's been obtained through processes like redlining historically. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know <clears throat> as as i've I've been back in Wilmington since two thousand and thirteen as I think about Wilmington and I think about the areas and having grown up here, you know, I coined a phrase <clears throat> called intentional poverty zones. Policy creates these areas within our city where. There are people who are more impoverished than others. But when you look at the trends and you look at what's happening with policy, whether it's, it's the county commissioners or whether it is city council, these decisions seem to go a particular way. And those decisions, are go they go a particular way, and they exclude a great deal of the population, as you just mentioned, and they include a few who are actually going to benefit from you know, as I look at uh, this whole regentrification, um, and it's happening across the country, so I can't just say Wilmington, but I, I took a look at how these homes uh, were, for a long period of time, some of them were abandoned or, or dilapidated, or you look at the tax structure of how people had to pay taxes on their homes and, you know. Some people couldn't afford the taxes as the as the tax values went up, right? And that's just, that's part of that whole strategy, right? So I go in and I pay the tax lien, and now I I take over the property and I I um, I refurbish the property. <clears throat> I can look at the north side, uh, and I can look at Fourth Street, and I remember what used to be there, but now I know what is there, right? Not that regentrification is a bad thing, but I'm looking at what's happened with maybe employers being uh, brought to the, to the north side of town. I look at the housing that was happening on the north side of town, right? And over a period of time, it actually declined for, it, it declined, and with that decline, it allowed those with money to go in and now begin to purchase everything and to refurbish it. And certain demographics are no longer there. They've been pushed out, and they'll never get back there again. Simply because of the valuations of the homes now, and and uh, so they've lost some properties that uh, they'll never be able to to regain. I was having a conversation last night. Someone they said that we're not, we're going to do everything in our power not to lose our home on the north side because we know once if if we were to lose it, we never get it again, and that's our homestead. So for some people, it's the deep emotions of being a homestead, and for other people, it's just for other people, it's just business, right? and that's what we see a lot of in Wilmington with especially with those real estate professionals who are in certain positions it's just business and they don't care anything about the emotional ties to the home of it being a homestead for someone
0: it's it's such a such a difficult situation in terms of things can't stay the same and stay run down that's right. the challenges how that's right do we create opportunities for these generational property owners to maintain those homes and to experience the uplift? And, and that's tricky because we do fight those, those historical things like redlining, right? Banking practices that would basically draw big lines around this for the benefit of the audience. I know you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, big lines around certain neighborhoods mm-hmm. and the rules for borrowing and all these things were much different in those areas and and we see that across the country Mm -hmm. Wilmington and New Hanover County is no exception and we see the long-term sequela of that Mm -hmm. which is household wealth disparities Mm -hmm. for one thing uh, and communities that have basically been left behind until the phenomenon that you just described earlier starts to happen community by community. Yeah, uh,
1: You know, <clears throat> I, I think there are several ways to, uh, to address it. You know, in earlier uh, episodes we talked about partnerships, right? We talked about co-creation. Um, I think that there's some probably cooperatives that need to be developed around housing, right? <clears throat> the West Indians have something they call susu. And what they do is a group of them put money into, say, a neighborhood pool. And as they invest money into this pool or save money, there's an order in which each family gets the opportunity to tap into that pool of money at some particular time. That pool of money can be used to start businesses. It can be used to buy homes. It can be used to pay off bills. And so I think that there's some people who need to look at a new model of how they go about all of this, whether it's purchasing homes, whether it's renovating homes, whether it's starting businesses, whether it's education. Um, And of course, that lends itself to people having to trust each other, right? When you start putting pools of money together, because money sometimes will bring out the worst in people, right? But when you understand it's for the common good, it's like a cooperative, right? Just like a cooperative of a, a grocery store cooperative, right? People will invest in it, and everybody kind of benefits from it because their purchase price may be a little bit lower because they are a member of the co-op. We got to look at ideas around housing that same way. Well, maybe there's a there's a there's a there's a uh, a subdivision that's built, and because these people have have either sweat equity or They've invested money into a pool that now they can extract money from to to build uh, homes, uh, build homes, renovate homes. Um, But we we just got to look at different models. The question is, how do we make it work, right? And so as I'm struggling through this, I'm thinking about how do we make it work, right? I I know I'm not going to come up with the framework here, but we got to be able to be creative enough and innovative enough and curious enough to ask those questions to figure out a way to make it work for everybody, because it can. We can make it work if we want to make it work.
0: Yeah, and, you know, sometimes it takes that, okay, what's the imperative, right? Like, Mm -hmm. is this really important enough for us to care about it in, in our hometown, in New Hanover County? And I'll ask our engineer to pull up the housing problems in the state slide. And I really think the imperative is right here. You know, our partners, Cape Fear Collective, uh, on this Healthy Communities North Carolina dashboard have a housing section here under physical environment. And if you look right here on the on this very slide, you see New Hanover County is ranked number eleven from the bottom Mm. in severe housing problems of the 100 counties in North Carolina. So we're number 89 Mm. in the state for severe housing problems. To me, that is the imperative, right? Like it's not very far to be last. Uh, And, you know, we don't often think of ourselves as a poor performing county. But when it comes to people living with severe housing problems, where that's, whether that's not having a home or having a home that has inadequate bathroom and kitchen facilities, things that many of us take for
1: granted, we're near the bottom of the bottom. How does that happen when you have a lot of the government officials who happen to be in the real estate business? How does that happen? that we are near the bottom, when their focus is housing, as a professional, that's their focus. Yet, when it comes to the masses of the people in the community, or that we are near the bottom because we are the smallest county in the state, and it would seem to me that that would be a focus professionally and a focus from a governmental perspective as well to ensure that your citizens can have uh, homes that that are meanable to, to everyone's living conditions and we know that everybody's living conditions are going to be a little bit different given your income and a lot of other factors but something that is amenable I don't understand how that happens it's like it's like I give the equivalent of analogy of me being a a teacher or a professor, and my child uh, either majoring in what I majored in, and yet they flunk out of school in the same in the same topic. I, it just it just it shouldn't happen. It should never happen. It Maybe should, we need a guest or something. <laughs> yes, right? Yeah, exactly. Ask, it should never this, happen
0: because it, it's actually been a long term phenomenon that folks connected to real estate and or development have held those positions in our County. And I think sometimes a tough question is in order. Yes. Maybe this is one of those times because right now we're seeing again in the private sector. So Cape Fear collective also is doing this impact investing. So they have collected basically capital investments from businesses including their own in our area to buy distressed properties but to keep them to upfit them adequately and to keep them in the affordable housing market in order to address that problem so there is some private sector work going on It's heavily you know there's some really good players in that space whether you talk about Live Oak Bank or First Citizens or other ones that are that are really trying to contribute uh, Novant Health to be part of the part of that solution but it seems to me like we've got to have more serious discussions and more stakeholders at the table to understand how this works because not only do we have not only do we have what you might call a workforce housing problem in other words those frontline professionals that mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier that we talked about that can't live here. That does not even talk about impoverished people or homeless populations. That is on top of this housing affordability crisis. So when you look at what's really going on in New Hanover County, home ownership, and I'll go even maybe a step farther, safe places to live are becoming highly exclusive.
1: Yes, and I'm going to th- toss out a phrase, they're working homeless, right? Because <clears throat> in this area, from a salary perspective, we don't offer the best salaries. And a lot of this area, there's a lot of service workers who, who, even though they're working a full-time job, they still can't afford to purchase a home. Because of the value of the homes in the area. Um, I guess the average price of a home in Wilmington now is probably two hundred and fifty, two hundred and sixty thousand dollars. But if you're still making nine, ten, twelve dollars an hour, you can't afford a two hundred and sixty or two hundred and seventy thousand dollar home. And because we're the smallest county, and because of being a tourist area and great weather. And people want to come here to retire. They come from other places with retirement funds or they've sold homes. And so they can afford to come in and to make those purchases. Whereas those who are living here, who are working and have been working, they're having to struggle in order to purchase homes. I've seen some homes on the marketplace that I know three to four or five years ago were probably valued at $150,000. The new valuation is somewhere around $268,000, right, after the pandemic. Um, And because of this being a hot market for people to to move to, right, um, it's quite interesting what's happening, and a lot of people have been priced out of the marketplace as it relates to buying a home. So that's why there has to be some new models that are, that are developed that allow, that will allow for people who've worked in maybe $12, 15 $20 an hour who can afford a home. Because a friend of mine told me they went out looking for an apartment and I think the apartment rent was basically for one bedroom, $2,000 a month. Wow. That's not, that's a mortgage payment, but still, you know, if you don't have the down payment, guess what? You can't, you can't make the purchase. So it's a, we can work through this. We just have to be creative enough to do so.
0: And that really gets at, you know, there are definitely some programs out there um, that can make a difference. They're private, industry-driven, uh, hmm. and, you know, controversial. I have had a recent uh, online discussion around a, a policy of, basically zero down payment loans Mm -hmm. for certain first-time homeowners and man i was i was really gripped by the nature of that conversation and how much bitterness people had about that opportunity being available Mm -hmm. right and and there's like this disconnect because It didn't say the person wouldn't qualify for a loan of that magnitude. That's not part of the criteria, right? Mm -hmm. What they're talking about Mm -hmm. is a situation where maybe it is a frontline worker. Maybe it's a school teacher or a a police officer that really just doesn't have that 20% down payment. Mm -hmm. You start talking about the amount of cash you have to have on hand to make that, 20% or even a 10% down payment Mm -hmm. as these prices are escalating. And that's a whole different thing Mm -hmm. than it is to just be able to have adequate cash flow and income to make that house payment. Because in effect, you're actually many times in the rental market here, Mm -hmm. you're paying above what that mortgage payment would be even if you didn't have a down payment. And so people really need to understand what that means and consider not being so oppositional about it right it's just mm-hmm. about creating opportunities in a different sort of way mm-hmm. the model should still work and it does or it wouldn't yeah. be offered
1: you know i can think of one program right now that is, is kind of addressing this and we probably have to have that person as a guest and and uh, uh the program is called get that deed and they're showing people how to uh, save money. How to go in and make sure that their credit is, is is proper to purchase a home, and then they're connecting them not only with the financing because they are the they're the realtor, but they're connecting them with the financing. But they also connect with realtors throughout the region who has a pipeline of homes that you know it may not necessarily be New Hanover County. But it may be Pender, it may be Brunswick, it might even go out a little bit, you know, a little bit further. Um, but it allows them to buy a home, and I know that person has been doing that for about five or six years and has has had a great deal of of success, and has actually been trying to franchise that idea of get that deed. So we'll have to have that person on as a uh, as a guest to, to talk about their program and, and how it works.
0: It brings up that point of what we're talking about a lot of times is is a type of health, is financial health, yes, which we know is critical for health. And that's a whole nother episode of looking at differential outcomes based on poverty status and so forth. But looking at that from the standpoint of financial health and understanding what it takes, and the truth of it is, is that although we're kind of taught things like a penny saved is a penny earned, Mm -hmm. and we're taught to you know, not spend beyond our means and things like that. The fact is that so many things are dependent upon your credit score and you just have to build that, right? Like there's a methodology to what it takes to be able to get access to a good credit score and to yes, right. hold on to that. And if people don't know, they don't know. That's right. And so the whole that whole world is closed off. So programs like Get That Deed You know, incredible, right? Because it's actually going back to another, you know, teaching a person how to do something is a lot different than giving a person something. That's right. So many opportunities to do things like that and to create that wealth generation in a different way.
1: That's right. And and you've said it many times, oftentimes a family's wealth is created through their housing, right? The appreciation of a piece of property that they own and they get equity in, you know, in that. And all of a sudden, you know, um, 15, 20 years into paying for their mortgage, they see the value that they have in their home and they can if they know the right things to do with it, they can tap into that and they can begin to invest or purchase other properties to continue to to, uh, create generational wealth for themselves. But if you don't know, you don't know. And there are not a lot of those fundamental type of programs that are really teaching the basics of financial literacy, right? And the key to all of that is a home. You got to have a home. It provides that stability, right? So that's why Housing is health. It is healthcare, right? For someone to be able to to live and be comfortable, and it gives them a little bit of clarity, and they can think clearer as it relates to if they're homeless or that you know you, you begin to. What I like to say is you begin to scramble. As you begin to scramble, you begin to make a lot of mistakes because you're not thinking clearly as if you had the foundation of a home.
0: That's such such a great segue into really let's delve a little deeper into to housing as healthcare, and let's take it to the children, Mm. right, and so, you know, one of the things we know is that severe housing problems can mean a lot of different things, and we've seen it in many Mm. different contexts. We saw it big time in the aftermath of Hurricane Florence, Mm -hmm. where a lot of homes in our region were destroyed, and people lost their situation, Mm -hmm. had to bounce around to temporary housing multiple different times, and and how the kids are affected. And, you know, we've talked before about concentrated poverty and what that means in certain mm-hmm. communities for certain schools. Mm-hmm. And and it really makes me think of a program around a severe housing problem in our county where in some inner city schools in Wilmington, up to 25% of the school children didn't have a bed to sleep in.
1: Mm. Mm.
0: Right? And so you start having kids who don't have a place to sleep. Well, they don't get a good night's sleep. They come to school. It's hard to learn if you're exhausted. So they get behind there or they act out because they're exhausted. We know that 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 lack of sleep can can go both ways. It can make you sleepy or it can make you hyper and manic. And so we start setting these things in motion. Mm-hmm. and just a small-scale uh, intervention that was done. There was a, a, another local person who had the great idea to, to provide air mattresses mm-hmm. and linens for these children and use the schools as the entry point for identification and mm-hmm. distribution. Mm-hmm. And Novant Health was the partner, through our vendor relationships to actually get the air mattresses and the linen. so it could be done in a cost effective manner and get these children places to sleep. Mm-hmm. And we're just at the point of beginning to look at what that does to their ability to learn. You know, it takes mm-hmm. a little bit of time. It's not mm-hmm. like you give a kid a, a bed to sleep in and f- see how they do tomorrow. It takes mm-hmm. a little longer right. to that's figure right. out what the true impact is, but that's a piece of the puzzle, Right. Because we know these kids, if they have poor sleep, if they have problems in school because of that, then they're set up for adverse childhood experiences. Just not having a stable home environment is an adverse childhood experience. And we know what that does. That's another episode in and to itself. Mm -hmm. But starting those children on a good path with a stable housing situation so that they can get a good night's sleep, is fundamental to good health because we know that sleep is critical to health every day that again i think we talked one time medical knowledge doubles every 70 to 75 days (laughs) there's not a week that goes by that i don't read a study about the importance of sleep sleep and brain function sleep and physical function sleep (laughs) and obesity (laughs) sleep and diabetes you know (laughs) on and on and on With severe housing problems, so commonly people are unable to get sleep. It's a basic human need and that sets the whole stage in a bad direction for those people, one person at a time. So really, you know, that's another, we talked about how do we build imperatives because, you know, the first thing is enough people got to care to solve this problem, right? So I think the fact that We got a bunch of kids who don't have a safe place to sleep, and that's associated with their parents not having the same. It's got terrible health benefits. Oh, and by the way, we're number 89 out of 100 counties in North Carolina. That's starting to build a pretty strong imperative. What do you think?
1: I agree with you 100%. And if they don't have a good place to sleep, you can believe that they're probably not eating a good nutritious meal. And that ties into it. There's probably a bunch of sugar in their dietary regimen, right? So there's a whole lot of dots that could be connected, just simply by not having a stable home environment where they can get a good night's sleep. As you you mentioned, sleep. You know, I used to think that sleep was overrated, and now as I get older, I know that it's not. It's not overrated. You must have it for good brain function, as you mentioned. Um, I believe I'm faithful. I have faith in mankind that we can solve these issues. We just got to look beyond ourselves. Too often I think we look just at ourselves and our situation and say, I'm doing well, I'm doing great, I'm the mayor of the city, I'm whoever, whoever I think I am, right? And I don't have those issues, but so many other people do. And so if other people have those issues and maybe you don't have those issues, how good of a job are you doing? That's the question. We gotta be able to measure it, right? One person at a time. And if we're number 89, that tells me we're not doing a good job, right? So do I even care whether or not we're doing a good job? Do I have that compassion for my fellow human being? Being born and raised in Wilmington, seeing Wilmington's growth, I've seen the good and the bad. I've seen some areas grow where maybe um, certain areas have grown more than others, right? There has been the, there has been exclusion and there has been some inclusion. But when you tell me we're number 29, excuse me, number 89, that tells me it's a lot of work to be done, which means we can't be comfortable, and we need to be having these conversations and figuring out how we can collaborate to create solutions for all of these problems that we have, and not worry about who can, who I don't want living beside me, right? But I want everybody to live as I live.
0: Well, I want to get look put some data behind this because yes. let's talk about who is affected. So we have a we have a slide. I'll ask our engineer to pull up the housing problems by race and ethnicity slide. This is for New Hanover County, and on your you know you can see right there on the screen what the target is for the for the uh, Healthy North Carolina 2030 plan is that less than 15 percent. Really, the target is 14 percent. Would be the max wow. of severe housing problems. Well, there is not a single population in our county that is at that threshold. So, if you look at if you look at the lines, the the white population has been rock steady at about a seventeen and a half percent severe housing problem since twenty thirteen.
1: Mm. Mm. Just
0: rock solid. If you look at other populations, black population is much higher. It's about 27%. Mm. Keep going. If you look at Asian population, it's 29%. And if you look at Hispanic population, it's 36%. And these, these are relatively flat trends. So you have... A severe problem in all populations. Mm -hmm. It's worse if you're Hispanic or black, but it's pretty bad no matter what you are. Yeah, right. right. So we have, you know, again, a problem where all populations are affected. And the data is really clear. I mean, this Healthy Communities North Carolina dashboard, which is available to anybody, healthycommunitiesnc.org, go to the Internet, check it out. It tells us a lot about what's going on county by county, and we've got to really be serious about this. We have some new resources that have have come to our community based on the sale of the hospital, and that can help. It's not enough by itself. That's right. right. This takes a community effort, which really gets us into not just the money to do these things, which is a lot, right? Like, it is a heck of a lot of money, although it's a little bit less money than we spend on cigarettes. Yeah, that's right. As a group, right. you know. So we got to get serious about it, and I think we will, and I think we can for sure, um, but having the collective courage to mm-hmm. do something different, to change policy that make it so, for instance, in a small... A geographic county like ours some of the zoning that might allow for instance a garage apartment or an accessory dwelling mm-hmm. and maybe someone is able to bring their elderly parent yes into their into a, a, a very viable dwelling on their property or is able to make a little bit of extra income by leasing out Which is a whole different policy of what's long-term rental, where that's possible and where, you know. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of options, and the magnitude of the problem tells a guy like me, hey, man, let's try them all.
1: Agreed. 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 Agreed 100%. You know, I was sitting here thinking, we need to have solution-oriented conversations. Not, we can't do this. It needs to be, let's figure out how to do it. And it creates all of those options that you were just thinking of, of how we can make sure that people have housing, right? Regardless of what their situation may be, we have to go in with the mindset of, let's figure out how to make it work. It needs to work for everybody. We need to understand that because we're not in the best position as a county. The numbers and the data show where we are. As a leader, I need to ensure that everyone in our area has housing. And I want to be held accountable for that. Now, whether or not that leader actually comes out and, or, or raises his hand to say that I want to be that kind of leader. And especially when you're talking about holding a leader accountable for that, right? That's a whole different conversation given the fact that a lot of our political uh, candidates and those in office are in the real estate game. So that also means that at this point in time, they could care less about accountability. It's probably more about profitability than it is about the overall good because this does nothing but make the city of Wilmington better. It makes it more attractive that we can make those kind of provisions for people who are living in Wilmington, homeless or not, that we can put them in some type of housing or we are creative enough to come up with the solutions to make sure that everyone has, has a housing.
0: Sounds like what you're talking about is inclusive economy, right? And man, I tell you, what's happened a lot in this episode is we keep saying Cape Fear Collective, right? Mm. So they they do this inclusive economy report, and you know we know actually exactly what level of household income it takes to make housing affordable in our in our communities. Exactly, and we know how many people are above it, how many people are below it. In fact, that's where all this uh, talk I've been doing about teachers, police officers, firefighters because many of them are below it yes right so this is all data driven we know what it is you know but us talking about this report doesn't get us very far right because what we're talking about is how do you how do you become a catalyst for massive action
1: How do we get the leaders to look at the report and to begin to act from it? This dashboard has been out there for some time now. Six months, a year?
0: Yeah, well the, so the Healthy Communities Dashboard went live in February of this year, and the Inclusive Economy Report happened much earlier and has been repeated, so.
1: So I don't know if the leaders are looking at this as fake news or not, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it's data that is real, that is updated on a regular basis, that says this is where we are given our economy and here is the direction or here are the areas we need to work on. So it's not kryptonite that we need to stay away from but we need to be drawn to this report and use it as our framework for growing this economy, growing this area, um, and then making sure that everyone Can participate in this inclusive economy that's that's the the data is provided so all you have to do is lead from it
0: all you have to do is lead from it now i'll give you one that may scare you a little bit on the housing piece of this data the most recent data available is Mm pre-covid and we know what happened to the job situation during the pandemic we know how people were profoundly affected across all phases of their lives and what happened at the, at the level of the frontline worker. And so it's likely that when we get the update, we could find ourselves worse off. Yes. Worse off, which is to me, again, it's an even stronger imperative, but I want to throw out even another healthcare example of just what happens when you, find a way to partner and establish housing. So we had a a cohort of patients at the hospital who were homeless Mm -hmm. and would end up in the hospital with various medical problems. We'd get treatment in that environment, and then it would be time for the patient to take up outpatient therapy or maybe they were cured enough to go home for just convalescence but no home Mm -hmm. so we're able to partner with some faith-based organizations right and establish stable home environments for these patients and the program pays for itself right like the the fact that these patients no longer come to the hospital for non-emergent conditions no longer have these medical bills that oftentimes they don't have insurance to cover the costs of anyway by helping them find a stable housing situation not even home ownership
1: mm-hmm.
0: just a stable housing situation and a network of people so they're not isolated and on their own that type of program has proven its worth time and again for us and so we continue to, that's another little piece right that the health system's doing part of the whole truth we talk about all the time. People yes. don't really want to necessarily acknowledge that that's happening, you know, because it's easier just to not acknowledge that the problem even exists. Yeah. But we've right. done that for years with excellent success. Right. So we're kind of past the stage of pilots when it comes to intervention in this space. Right. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. you know, it's a massive problem. It's a multi, multi million dollar problem Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and right now we're actually going backwards based on the level of investment we have in this community we are continuing to see the problem of housing get worse by thousands uh, 1100 units per year based on our current level of investment
1: all that you just described some people will say sounds like socialism. They always want to interject a political aspect of it because maybe they don't understand it. Maybe they're not even recognizing that we're dealing with human beings. I think that's part of the problem. It's not my problem. So why should I want to be involved in the solution, right? Sounds like socialism to me. Uh, I pay my tax dollars and Here's what my tax dollars go toward. Uh, I can't help if, if, they're, if they're homeless. Um, and what they fail to see is how it raises the quality of life for everybody in our community. You know, purpose, right? The purpose is health for all of us, right? We're trying to maintain our health every day that we live such that we can live a good quality of life. And so housing is health because it provides a good quality of life. It also provides, within that quality of life, some wealth. The wealth may not be, it could be wealth because of your health. It could be financial wealth. It could be mental wealth, it could be social wealth, it could be aesthetic wealth, right? Because if everybody has homes and you have standards of keeping up your home, then when you go into a city, it looks a particular way. It attracts employers who may want to come and decide that they want to have a, a, a site in Wilmington for jobs, right? Because we've always talked about how can we recruit better better uh, companies to come here to pay living wages so that our people can do well. All the dots connect. And oftentimes it does begin with housing because that provides that stability that everybody is looking for. You know, I've lived all over the country and every time I had to take a position, a new position, the first thing I did was go look for housing because it was about stability for the family, Right? Housing and schools. What what does the school district look like? How do they perform? Crime, but housing was first. Because we know that given where you live at housing, crime is either higher or lower given the neighborhoods that you live in. Not and crime happens everywhere, but housing is the most important. And so you can't have good mental health, physical health, if you don't have good housing health. It's impossible. No one wants to sleep with one eye open, wondering what's happening in the neighborhood, right? That's not good mental health either. So we got to be able to connect the dots, right? And understand that we are dealing with human beings who have the same desires for protecting and providing for their family just like anyone else
0: so true and you connected those dots on housing and schools i think that's an important really important thing because when we talk about neighborhoods that have been allowed to run down and experience lower property values whether that's because of the state of the homes or the redlining issue we talked about earlier it fundamentally changes the structure of that school Mm -hmm. sometimes changes the financial support of that school Mm -hmm. and you start changing now you're talking about changing multiple environmental factors at the same time and so we know it it's like a more powerful gearbox when you start creating a situation Mm -hmm. where your housing is not particularly safe your education isn't as good. You can't feel comfortable maybe going outside and being active and exercising for your health. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just a, a massive setup for that declining health. And there's no, there's no substitute once those basic needs are not met it's survivalship at that point. How do you, how do you survive is where, where it goes. And we know at that point in time, we get all kinds of things. We start talking about the unsanctioned economy versus the sanctioned economy and all that comes with that. And so I keep coming back to the point, the imperative Mm -hmm. is there now. It's been in our face for quite some time we must deal with it because the whole the prosperity of our entire community ultimately depends on doing this right that's right everything spills over whether you talk about and we've talked about this i think in previous episodes too you know the opioid epidemic that's now across all populations this is part of that right like the housing environment is part of the drive of that entire industry. Mm-hmm. So I ask, is, is it important to deal with or is it not?
1: I, I again have to go to leadership. What is leadership going to do? Will leadership use the dashboard to lead from Cause we keep talking about a data-driven economy right let data make our decisions well the data is there it's been there how is it being utilized is it being utilized right and if not why not
0: that why not is a tough tough question i think needs to be asked maybe a lot more right because um it's pretty easy to just again like we talked about in whole truth episode it's easy to pick apart something as imperfect. But just because something is imperfect doesn't mean it is not representative of the what the whole truth of that's right. situation is. And that's where we are in terms of an inclusive economy in our hometown. That's right. You know, the data shows, now you can pick apart whichever little data point you want and you can take it out. Well, it'll still show... We don't have an inclusive economy. That's right. And it's manifest most strongly in the basic needs of life, right? That's right. Housing and food. That's right. We can do fundamentally better. And I think this is probably a good break point for us to thank our audience. Ask you if you want to see a link to this dashboard, check us out. Check us out at unlikelyintersections.com. Check me out at Doc Philip Brown on LinkedIn, I'm
1: and you Terry. can find me at LinkedIn at Terry Jackson PhD. We'll be more than happy to to entertain any questions you have and getting get engaged with you with any communications or conversations you'd like to have with us.
0: Appreciate your time today, my friend.
1: Thanks, Doc. Take care. Bye.